IoT technology has been transforming agriculture practices for years now, so applying IoT technology to the supply chain was just a natural progression in our mind. With my morning toast this morning, I had a slice of avocado. The label said it was grown in Queensland. It was quite nice, actually, but I digress. The point here is Queensland, well, that's 2,500 kilometres away from my home in Sydney. But the knife I cut the avocado with was made in Korea. Now, that's a bit further, but still not unusual. But I washed that avocado down with a cup of coffee, and the coffee came from Venezuela, made in a coffee maker manufactured in Germany. I'm sure you can see where I'm going with this. I won't bore you with where my shirt, shoes, car, iPhone were made, but here's the thing. Stuff is constantly being shipped from place to place, and doing it efficiently is the key to profitability for many industries. That brings us to the Internet of Things. IoT is solving problems in many fields, but maybe nowhere more so than in supply chain management. Welcome to Telstra's Behind the Mic. I'm Adam Spencer, and together we're going to explore how the Internet of Things is getting used today and what will be possible to do in the very, very near future. As we explore IoT in this series, we keep coming across two recurring themes. Firstly, that IoT means a lot more than reporting weather live from everywhere. They were baby steps in the IoT revolution. Secondly, it's bringing a new way of thinking for many businesses. The old paradigm was to develop tech and then look for applications. But the new generation of thinking is starting with a problem, then using some form of IoT to find the solution. Today, we're looking at supply chain management. That's that thing you never think about until it screws up. And then you wish you'd thought a lot more about it a lot earlier. It's also the thing that made Walmart a dominant force in global retail. Walmart have 11,000 stores in 27 countries, and their products are made in more than 70 countries. The company is built on the premise that everything on their shelves is inexpensive, and that means profit margins on individual items are tiny. They achieve that by minimising distribution costs. In fact, when you buy something at Walmart, less than 2% of the purchase price is going to distribution. That can be compared to 5% at comparable department stores. I think Whitney Houston's a bit better looking than a tub of goat's cheese, but um, I'd be happy to take a bullet for some of our goat's cheese. To understand how IoT factors into this, we're going to talk with Peter Verry from Polaris about Aussie dairy cows. Yes, you can even apply IoT processes to cows. More specifically, you can apply IoT to the fresh milk that cows give. It's the story of how Peter found a way to milk a cow in Australia on a Wednesday and by Monday afternoon, a grandmother in Beijing is pouring it in her tea. Every day is an adventure in China. We'll also talk with Sam Clohesse from Our Way about all the ins and outs of winning consumer confidence in a foreign market. Every pallet and every product there will be tracked and traced. Now, that term's used a lot, but this is a different story. First... I want you to think about Nike. They've got a lot of challenges. One, they sell shoes in over 30,000 stores in 190 countries. So the distance between their manufacturing centres and their retail outlets varies from a few hundred metres to a few thousand kilometres. 
and then think about their product. They have men's shoes, women's shoes, different styles, different colours. Lastly, we all wear different sizes. So imagine the challenge of having every single style of shoe in every colour, every size, in every one of those 30,000 stores. On the surface, it seems impossible. And then what happens when one style suddenly becomes incredibly popular? Maybe a celebrity wears them on the red carpet somewhere and every teenager in the world is asking their mum and dad for that specific shoe. Sure, it's great for business, but only if you can get the product to the stores fast. And that's why Nike spent the last year recreating its supply chain using, you guessed it, the Internet of Things. Now, in the past, Nike's product cycle began with a futures order placed months in advance. Then, more than a million workers at 566 factories would start making the shoes. Just two years ago, that process of manufacturing to market took 60 days. Now, thanks to their new system, some products are built and sold within just 10 days. We've already mentioned that supply chain management isn't considered all that sexy by most people. Ha <laughs> ha, not my next guest. Who's trying to change that perception? My name's Sam Cloacy. I'm business development manager for Our Way. Sam started in China back in 2008, a long time before it was the cool thing to do. He's now created Our Way a platform to get fresh produce to the Chinese market. Sam's vision is to be the bodyguard for fresh Aussie products to China. Think of him as the Kevin Costner of broccoli. What was the quality control like on products back in China in 2008? Let's just say it was lamentable, Adam, <laughs> and uh, a lot of room for improvement, and that is probably still the case to this day. Give me an example of something back in 2008 that made you realise that uh, you know, there was room for improvement here. Well, I was with a friend of mine just out of Shanghai, and we went to one of the local supermarkets, you know, equivalent of a sort of a Woolies or something over there in Shanghai. And we went to the fresh fruit section. I, I didn't really know a lot of Chinese at this point in time, but my friends pointed me over and told me that the lemons we were looking at right in front of us were, were Australian lemons. Great stuff. I'm no um, major foodie, but I looked at the lemons and they just didn't quite look right, the right size or shape or even colour. Anyway, I, I picked one of them up and it had a, one of those little oval-shaped stickers on that many do at the market, and it said Product of Australia. And anyway, I had a look at it, and I still wasn't convinced, and I put it down, and I said to my friend, I'm not sure if these are Australian lemons. And lo and behold, when I look back at my hand, it was covered in yellow paint or a yellow film, and the, the, the food... Uh, had actually been painted or spray painted in some form. I then purchased one of those lemons and took it home and inside, uh, let's just say it wasn't full of juice, Adam, and uh, let's say I'm 99% sure that it didn't come from our great country. Okay, so 10 years ago you had a painted lemon in your hand. Now yes. we have our way. Talk me through the our way process. How does IOT make it all work? Along with a couple of other great Australians, we decided to, to come up with this idea where we could help both the Chinese consumer and the Australian primary producer because both we could sort of hear ringing in our ears that neither of them trusted the process in which their products were getting to market from both ends, the way it was handled, who was looking after it, keeping it fresh and also particularly on the Chinese consumer side, which still happens to this day, is that they're still generally unsure 
of where their product comes from. So we decided to change that. Okay, let's drill down into the technology here. Most IoT networks start with sensors. Yes. What are you measuring and how often are you measuring that? We're measuring a whole lot of things. Um, If you can imagine, so there's a portal where the Chinese consumer can go on and purchase products that we're offering from Australia in a pre-order sense. Let's say goat's cheese, for instance. We will then go to our supplier in Australia and then the process begins. From the moment that we take possession of that product at the farm gate and or the factory, every pallet will be tracked and traced. Each of these pallets will have a sendum, what's known as a sendum device inside which can track and record a whole host of data from location to temperature, you name it. At the moment, what we're doing on the platform is we're visualising and really trying to market one, those GPS coordinates so that we can prove to the Chinese consumer that it's coming from, for example, somewhere in New South Wales to Sydney Airport, to Shanghai Airport, to their home. Another thing which we thought was extremely important to visualise is the temperature. So each of these Sendum devices provides an update a recording every 15 minutes so the consumer can see not only the location of the product, but they can also see the temperature to know, particularly if it's a highly fresh, highly perishable, highly chilled product, they can see it. Let's put this all in perspective. Our trade with China is incredibly important. China's our number one trade partner, both in terms of imports and exports. A whopping $180 billion worth of goods were shipped between the two countries in the last year. And that's up 23% over the year before. A lot of that trade wouldn't be possible without IoT supply chain platforms like our way. On the macro level, Australia's food exports to China are about $30 billion. So um, you can you can fill in the blanks, Adam. There's plenty of opportunity there. And you're now going to new markets globally. How does Telstra through IoT make all of this happen? Having these fantastic devices and technology available, what I see the opportunity with Telstra and the IoT going ahead is being able to really market and visualise these products and bring it into the mainstream. And I'm, I'm sure you'll understand that a lot of the technology these days, it's still seen as very nerdy. It's not a something that people get interested in. They don't really care how it happens. But I think there's a real possibility to bring the customer much more information and, and make the journey of when they're purchasing something or they're seeing something go overseas, make them part of that journey and, and, and really bring it to market. Let's say, for instance, there's some lobster on the East Coast, say in New South Wales, some lobster fishermen there, and they're associated with our platform and they've agreed to be a supplier for us. Uh, We would offer the products on our platform live into the Chinese market to purchase directly. They will be able to visually see who the fishermen are. We'll go and take possession of that product. Obviously, one of those sendman devices or there'll be all the tracking devices will be involved in that shipment. Then it is taken directly to Sydney Airport from there. We'll then take that product directly to mainland China. The, the consumer has already seen it come from New South Wales. They've had the updates as it's gone through the air. And then once it's landed, then it goes to our own warehouse, which is about half an hour to 45 minutes from Shanghai. Once it hits our warehouse for clearance, as it has to go through customs, then it's sent straight out in a truck or a van to consumer or hotel, whatever it may be, and they can watch the entire journey. And obviously, with some some good visual additions of, of film and social media, uh, we can develop that trust over time so that they know that everything that they're purchasing is within the, within the one chain. So, Sam, the technology has already brought this process so much 
much faster. Are we doing it now as well as we possibly can or could the technology and the people come together to make these processes even quicker in the future? Oh, no, Adam, I still think there's room for improvement. The lead time to get products from place of production in Australia to the consumer in China, it's not too bad at the moment. Anywhere along the chain, uh, I mean, from the supplier to the airline, but I would say particularly to customs and, and to quarantine once it arrives in China, but also with help from Australia. If those times can be minimised over the journey, at the moment it's, it can be anywhere from two to four days, um, depending on the product. We'd like to get that down over the next few years uh, to ideally be able to have an order placed and get it to that consumer within 48 hours over the next couple of years. And then ideally in 24, uh, probably over the next four to five years. It's interesting, Sam, because we're talking about technology and technology doing amazing things, Mm. but it's all going to building that very human quality of trust yes. between people. It, it still it still comes down to people working with and believing in people, but it's technology that's allowing that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. That's right. And I can imagine in the future there's going to be, you know, blockchain now and then you've got cryptocurrency. I mean, there's going to be, these things are going to be ubiquitous soon. You know, there's going to be a hundred different companies doing these things. And, and to the layperson, they're going to be thinking, okay, you can track it, you can trace it, I can follow it, that's fine. But still, as you make the great point, the trust is the core part. So those, I think, will be successful is not only taking that technology, but really visualizing it and personalizing it. Because remember, we're not trading with America or England here where we can all speak English and we all know a bit about each other's history a lot more. We're going into a new market here. Um, where the language is different, the culture is different, and a picture certainly tells a thousand words. Sam, you want to play that role as sort of bodyguard of Australian produce going to China. Are you comfortable with me describing you as the Kevin Costner of goat's cheese? Look, I'd be happy to take a, take a bullet for some of our goat's cheese, Adam. Not a problem. Well, Sam, I'm sure I speak on behalf of millions of Chinese con- consumers of lobster when they say, I will always love you. Thank you. Sam, lovely to speak with you today. Pleasure, Adam. Great to speak to you. Now, IoT-directed supply chain management is one thing, and not the easiest thing to say, but Amazon has taken it a notch further. They've added robots. Amazon's specific challenge is that every order they fill is unique. This isn't 100 pallets all containing one litre bottles of milk. This is sending books to New York City, dog toys to Berlin, bike parts to Port Hedland. That means Amazon has massive warehouses containing tens of thousands of items. Originally, they had humans walking the floor of these warehouses scanning packages. Those have now been replaced with Wi-Fi-enabled robots that identify products by reading QR codes using built-in cameras. There's an artificial intelligence program that prioritises shipments depending on what option the customer selected. And that same program notifies manufacturers when inventory needs to be replenished. Okay, enough stalling. Let's get to those cows. I'm Peter Verry, uh, Managing Director of Polaris Global Sourcing. Five years ago, the idea of selling fresh Australian milk in China was pure fantasy. Sure, everyone wanted to get a piece of that incredibly huge market, but the paperwork alone to get dairy products approved for importation took 21 days, and milk expires in, (laughs) you guessed it, 20 Peter has tons of experience moving goods around Asia. Most of his work has been moving massive shipments of steel. But a few years ago, he came across to milk, which brings a whole new set of challenges. To solve these problems, 
he turned to the Internet of Things. There were five key problems that we faced in shipping fresh milk to China. So we had to work out a process to manage product quality in transit. The lead time had to be as short as possible. This is a high-risk food category, so import compliance requirements were very strict. We had to deliver process transparency, and we also had to be mindful of total cost. No point getting it there if it was too expensive for anybody to buy. Peter, there's not that much profit on a litre of milk. We've seen the milk wars here in Australia. And I can assume these sensors aren't the cheapest things going around. How does the economics work on a system like this? Well, we typically use one device per pallet, and a pallet for fresh milk contains approximately 700 litres. Typically, we can cycle a single unit about two times every four to five weeks. So the actual cost per trip is quite low at around $15 per pallet. I would imagine of all the avalanche of data that can, that can be harvested, you really need to know two things, location and condition. Where's my stuff and how's it holding up? How do you get information on those fronts? Uh, well, the data log we use is um, similar to a mobile phone in many respects. So what it does, it records the relevant shipment location and temperature and quite a few other parameters as well. And it's recording this information continuously. And then we have programmed it to upload the information to our server every 15 minutes. So this information is then electronically transferred to China Customs and Quarantine Server. So they're also getting an update every 15 minutes and they can view this information via their a customised dashboard that they have developed. We hear a lot about China being a very bureaucratic country. What was it like dealing with Chinese customs? Have they, have they embraced this high-tech approach? Oh, that's an interesting question. I can recall the first few shipments we did where we had our China team had to complete uh, shipment import licence online, print out and sign the form, and then drive it over to the department and hand deliver this to the relevant officer. They would then go online, approve the licence electronically, print out the form, and then give the hard copy back to us. So they obviously had no trust in the computer age at that stage. Once we'd been uh, operating for about six or 12 months and they realised the transparency of our model and the protocols that we had in place that ensured the integrity of our imports, they started to push us uh, to actually go more electronic. This has actually resulted in us collaborating with China Customs and Quarantine Department to develop and build an integrated online platform. So every shipment can be monitored in real time. This means that uh, China import authorities can log in and view the location and temperature of a pallet of milk en route to Sydney Airport if they wanted to. Believe it or not, lobster fraud is becoming a thing. The value of a lobster varies wildly on where it's caught, but many consumers can't tell one beady-eyed bug from another, so they have to trust the sign on the tank. Problem is, some unscrupulous importers in China have been swapping out high-priced Aussie lobsters with locally caught ones. But guess what? They still charge the higher price. That sort of thing can undermine consumer confidence in all lobsters and potentially destroy an industry. Assurance of product authenticity is obviously very important to Chinese consumers. One of the features of our import model that I haven't touched on is that we incorporate a unique product serialization code that is printed on every bottle of fresh milk. So every bottle is unique. So it's Funny you mentioned lobsters because, in fact, we're working with a seafood co-op to implement a tag that this, this label can be applied to and can be attached to individual lobsters that will validate their authenticity. 
this uh, serialization code can also be embedded with a, a whole range of information to the consumer, uh, including even where it was caught, although we've been told that this information probably won't be provided by most fishermen. Peter, are you suggesting Australian fishermen lie? Please. <laughs> uh, well, some, not everybody. But from a producer or, a, or let's say, a brand owner perspective, uh, their reputation is everything. With the internet, a negative experience in China, let's say some, a bad product delivery, uh, the milk is sour or it's been tampered with, this information can be communicated to millions of people overnight via social media and, and many other sources. So this has the potential to impact on an Australian brand owner's domestic sales market as well. So this level of supply chain visibility that we provide gives them the confidence to be able to expand into export markets such as China without worrying too much about the increased risk to their brand. When you go into a new market, there's always a you know, great stories of, of, of rising to the challenge, getting your head around it, quirky things that have gone on. Has there been a time where something's gone wrong and maybe the, the tracking system or the sensors have saved the day for you? Oh, every day is an adventure in China. But uh, one, one that springs to mind recently was uh, a case where we received uh, in our China warehouse a pallet of fresh milk cartons all stacked sideways. Mm. So it turned out that the pallet had, had been accidentally knocked over somewhere in one of the warehouses that it went through. And the warehouse staff had hastily restacked the pallet, but in their haste had obviously stacked it incorrectly. One of the features of the data logger that I haven't mentioned is it's got a tilt feature. So uh, if the uh, device is tilted in any direction, it will record this. So we were able to actually identify from the data that we had been recording all the time the exact location and the exact time that the pallet had been upended despite the warehouse staff vehemently denying that it was anything to do with them. But I think this is great. Most people remember, you know, 20 years ago, Telstra or its equivalent was what made your landline phone run. We know these days Telstra's into mobile phones and technology on the internet and the like, but people might be surprised to know that Telstra's basically playing the role of the milkman here. How, how is Telstra facilitating this process? So the technology that Telstra is providing us is just as critical as the physical logistics that we use to get that product to market. It provides us with the uh, ability to meet the challenges of uh, transparency, process transparency and product traceability which is what has been demanded by our consumers. A lot of this sounds futuristic, but it, but it, it is happening now. Where do you see it going? What are the next generation of problems that could be tackled by this IoT technology? IoT, by its nature, is the tracking of things, uh, is, the, is the internet of things. And uh, I think that supply chain transparency and consumer connectivity with real-time information about the products that they're purchasing will become the norm, if not the minimum requirement for food exports and, and probably domestic as well. So to retain and to grow markets, especially in the global marketplace, I think uh, producers need to start uh, working towards this transparency and traceability now. Peter, it's been lovely speaking with you. Best of luck continuing to take fresh milk to China. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me on. I think the big takeaway is to realise he's not taking an existing business, tweaking, improving it. He's actually creating an entirely new market. As I mentioned, selling fresh milk to China simply wasn't possible five years ago. Without the IoT network that Telstra's helped provide, it just flat out couldn't happen. 
But now it's being sold. Millions of dollars are being made. This is an incredible story. Well, that's it for this episode of Telstra's Behind the Mic. You can also check out Telstra's Behind the Mic series from Vantage, where we explore new ways of thinking about your business. From that, we sat down with Charles Dewey, a man who can help you kick your bad habits as soon as you figure out which ones you really want to kick. You have to recognize there's no such thing as a good habit or a bad habit, right? Our brain has an instinct to make things into habits. Our brain loves to conserve energy. And so when we can, when it finds a cue, a routine, a reward, it'll make that into a habit as often as it can. But for some people, what looks like a bad habit is a good habit. I like having a drink in the evening, right? Now, some people might say, that's a bad habit, but it isn't for me. That's part of the Telstra Vantage series. Subscribe to that, and you'll also get the next episode of this series on IoT as soon as it's released. I'm Adam Spencer. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. I hope you learned something. I know I certainly did. And I hope you'll join me next time And Telstra's Behind the Mic.